Welcome back to another exciting episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen. This week I'm really excited to be joined by Marilia, a qualified nutritional therapist who specialises in IBS and SIBO. I myself have experienced many gut issues and so have many of my friends. So not only did I take this chance to ask burning questions that I had, but also those that I know many others have had too. For example, those who say I have never had any issues with my digestion until I started eating healthily. I mean, that's crazy. Like, why would you have digestion issues by eating healthy food? Another topic we dive into is the low FODMAP diet. What even is that? What does low FODMAP mean? What foods should you eat? Shouldn't you eat? Basically, guys, this is your go-to episode for anything gut health and IBS related. So please, please, please share this with all your friends and your family and anyone who you think needs to listen to anything regarding gut health, IBS and SIBO. Enjoy. Marilia is a qualified nutritional therapist, which came about as a result of her own health journey, struggling with unexplained digestive problems. Not only does Marilia help guide and educate through her Instagram platform, but she also has a clinic where she provides consultations and support. Alongside this, she has her meal delivery service of low FODMAP meals. And as of recently, she has launched her own protein bar called Gutfulness, which is low FODMAP friendly and has been certified. It's fair to say she is a very busy bee and I'm very excited to have her here today. Marilia, hi. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Thank you uh, for having me. I'm very well. Thank you. How about you? Yeah, good. It's a sunny day. It's a Friday. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a good day. So to start off with, do you mind kind of describing a little bit about kind of what you do, who you are, just in a bit of detail, introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I'm a registered nutritional therapist. Uh, and I specialize in gut health, more specifically IBS and SIBO, which stands for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. I run a private practice. I see clients on a one-to-one basis, and my goal is to help them get to the root cause of their chronic digestive symptoms. Amazing. I'm really excited about this um, chat today because loads of my friends, and I and me as well, have struggled with IBS, and it's something that is so frustrating Mm -hmm. because often and I know you've had this and we'll go on to your journey but often you try everything and nothing seems to work so I'm really excited to kind of get down to the nitty-gritty of that but before we do a tradition on the podcast is a little quick fire round all about food okay so sweet or savory sweet juicy burger or overloaded salad overloaded salad ice cream or sorbet um, ice cream crisps or popcorn popcorn and uh, cook in or eat out um, a bit of both <laughs> and what is your favorite delivery you know what I actually don't get delivery almost ever <laughs> yes I love when people say this I have a few people that have said this and I love it I mean yeah. I also very rarely get deliveries probably when Sometimes if I'm with my boyfriend and we're like, oh, should we get a takeaway? Mm-hmm. It'll be like, we'll go somewhere, like maybe a sticks and sushi or something a bit nice. Yeah. But if I'm on my own, I would never just get a delivery. Yeah, same. I just prefer to cook something for myself and, you know, 
move on yeah. <laughs> I find it easier <laughs> I agree I agree I often find that I probably won't end up liking what I've ordered exactly you don't know how they're, how they're cooking what they're using uh, you know and it's always best to cook from scratch at home for sure. I agree completely so I want to start off by talking a bit about you and your personal struggles and journey with IBS and SIBO yeah so it's a bit long I'll try to make it short uh, I grew up without experiencing digestive symptoms ever good 22 years of my life could eat, drink, whatever I wanted. Indigestion was not part of my vocabulary. Uh, That changed after an episode of food poisoning. So literally from one day to the other, I started to have all sorts of digestive symptoms, extreme bloating and abdominal distension, uh, heartburn, acid reflux, uh, multiple food sensitivities. Uh, So I went from being able to eat tolerate everything any portion size and suddenly you know couldn't really deal with food anymore Um, obviously I went to several doctors specialists you know to understand what happened Um, ran a series of medical tests that came back clear which is a classic for IBS right for everyone Uh, and because they were all normal I was told you know I had irritable bowel syndrome and that my symptoms were a result of stress and anxiety but I had a really hard time accepting that diagnosis because if it was stress and anxiety, why I didn't have digestive symptoms my entire life? And it was really, um, I, I strongly believed that the food poisoning was the trigger event for my di- digestive symptoms. So I just didn't take that as a final answer. Every doctor I went to see, I mentioned, you know, I never had symptoms and everything started at first stomach bug but no one took that into consideration and the only solution provided to me were anti-acids and antidepressants which is also a classic for IBS Uh, I spent the next seven years trying to get to the root cause of my problem because my question to everyone was if it's just IBS and when I say this I'm not by any means uh, underestimating how you know complex IBS is But my point was, if it's just IBS, why are my symptoms getting worse year after year? Because it wasn't that they they were stable. Every year, it was like progressively getting worse. But no one had the answer. Then obviously I saw myself in a position where I felt desperate, hopeless, and I had to take control of my health because I didn't know what was happening. And I started to do research, like a lot of people do. And through my research, I learned about post-infectious IBS, which is a form of IBS uh, triggered by food poisoning. And then I learned that post-infectious IBS can, uh, because of the bacterial infection, it can damage the nervous system of the gut and can impair gut motility. And because the gut motility is impaired, you then can develop small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is SIBO, which is an accumulation of bacteria in the small intestine that causes all sorts of digestive symptoms, classic of IBS, bloating, alternating bowel movements, abdominal distension, so on and so forth. And then everything made sense. But that was like 10 years later. Yeah. Um, Obviously, during the time of research, I gained a lot of interest and especially a lot of knowledge in this whole field. And I thought, I cannot just sit here and do nothing with this because if I went through this for the last 10 years, imagine how many people are in the same situation as me. And I wanted to be able to help. And since food 
plays a key role in digestive symptoms, obviously, because if you don't eat, you don't have digestive symptoms. But if you do, obviously, they, they come back. Uh, I went to study the nutritional therapy and specialize in uh, functional gut disorders like IBS, SIBO and all. Amazing. I mean, so many people listening to your story will be like, oh my God, this is me, this is me. Mm -hmm. It's not ever been cured or sorted and I still don't know the issue. Do you think every single person's journey is slightly different? For sure, absolutely. I think one really important thing to understand about IBS is that it's multifactorial. So, you know, for me, my trigger was the bacterial infection, but it doesn't mean it will be the same for everybody. A lot of people have a stomach bug and after two or three days, they are, they're feeling fine and they move on with their lives. Mm. And a lot of people feel that their, their stress or anxiety triggered their symptoms, you know, which wasn't the case for me, but I know from clinical experience, it's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. So it, that's why IBS is a collection, is a term for a collection of symptoms. You know, yeah. they don't, it, it, it doesn't explain what it is. It just seems like, okay, you have all these symptoms, mm. but what is the root cause? Why do you have those symptoms? You know, it, it will be different from the other person. And do you think IBS is getting more popular or do you think it's being, the word is being overused? I do think the word is being overused uh, now, like it's just left and right IBS, you know, did you really run all the medical tests? Did you rule out any medical condition? Did you try to get to the root cause of your problem before labeling it as IBS? And I do think it's also, it is more popular simply because people are talking about it. You know, for me, this whole thing started 13 years ago. It was impossible to explain to someone. I have seen, I cannot eat this because this gives me digestive symptoms, you know, especially like the healthy foods. And I think now, you know, more people talking about it. So that's why it's more popular and people feel comfortable as well talking about it. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned then something about you couldn't eat the healthy foods. And Mm -hmm. this is what I love because often I've done a nutrition, me personally, I've done a nutrition course, but I haven't got the experience you have. But often people come to me and say, help friends of mine and kind of just say oh I've got this that and the other help me Mm -hmm. I've been really good today I've had a smoothie and a salad and I'm in so much pain (laughs) and I'm like that is firstly like that's a problem yeah and I think when you've got some issues with your with your stomach you naturally think I just need to cut everything back and be really healthy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that can sometimes be the biggest trigger yeah so can you explain from your from you'll have way more knowledge on it than me why does that mean that it will be so much worse yeah so this is a classic in clinic like my clients say you know they they mention like uh, people say that meat is bad for you but then when I eat meat I feel great (laughs) when I eat vegetables I, I feel crap yeah and I'm like yeah well there is a reason for that so basically the healthiest foods are really high in fiber and what triggers IBS symptoms is the FODMAP, the fermentable fibers. Uh, and that's why, you know, you eat all these healthy foods, but they're really high, highly fermentable and they promote all sorts of symptoms because when we digest, we as humans, we cannot digest dietary fiber. So that's the job of our gut bacteria. And it ha- is a process that happens in everyone's body. You eat the, di- the dietary fiber, it goes after digestion, you know, since we cannot digest like proteins, carbohydrates and fats, our gut bacteria will then ferment this dietary fiber and the fermentation results in gas production. And obviously, depending on how much you had of these highly fermentable foods, you're going to have a lot of gas being produced by the fermentation of the gut bacteria and that will trigger all sorts of symptoms especially that feeling of bloating you know that you have that added pressure 
that can also be become abdominal distension when you actually have you know that uh, food uh, food baby <laughs> yeah and i think people kind of that feeling of bloating is horrible and people it is yeah people probably think oh i feel so fat and heavy and lethargic yeah so then they'll probably think i'm gonna be healthy and i'm gonna go and make a smoothie or i'm gonna have a salad yeah. i'm gonna have like loads of veggies and i'm gonna feel great and it's a vicious cycle. It, it is, exactly. And yeah, I can just really see how that is a big yeah. a big problem. And also, I, you know, obviously it's great to have salads, but it can be a major trigger. So I always say to my clients, you know, while we are doing our, uh, is the experience of navigating the FODMAP diet, I always tell them, you know, keep the salad portions a bit smaller because the bigger, the worse it will get. Mm-hmm. And with smoothies, I... I am actually strongly against them if you have digestive symptoms because you're blending a lot of things that you you know you wouldn't na- naturally eat them all together in that meal, and it can be a burden for the digestive system as well. So depending yeah. on the situation that you find yourself, I think it's best to just eat the fruits and you know the nut butters whatever, and then just keep the smoothies sort of like plain. <laughs> yeah, completely. And what's your view on hot and cold? Because often people say to me oh I've had a smoothie and then I've had a a salad and then I'm gonna have like I can't remember what they would have for dinner but like a, a cold kind of Buddha bowl yeah. type thing and I'm like well I feel like cold food is a lot harder for your body to digest yes so absolutely I always say if you're having if you're having a cold breakfast like yogurt or fruit or cereal or whatever try and have a warm lunch and if you're having a warm lunch like por- uh, breakfast sorry like porridge mm-hmm. have a cold lunch yeah would you agree with that or i i totally agree that um cold foods are harder to digest especially when they're raw like so you know if you're having carrots that are not cooked or undercooked broccoli or beans and things like that um and ayurveda actually talks a lot about it you know always make your food warm uh have your um, bigger meal at lunchtime because that's when the digestive fire is at the strongest uh and again obviously the stomach can handle all sorts of food but we are talking about people that have a sensitive stomach or a sensitive gut so you kind of need to work in favor of your digestion and not against it uh, so i do recommend to my clients you know prioritize cooked foods rather than raw foods when we're dealing with symptoms mm, definitely and what's your view on the difference between bloating and ibs because anyone can blow everyone can yeah. blow yeah absolutely and yeah. It's and not all bloating is ibs yeah, yeah. and it's you know you could just hear someone be like oh I've got IBS it's like no 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 you might not like can you explain kind of what IBS actually is because it can be horrendous and bloating is also not great but it's very different to IBS and that's exactly what you said earlier you know is the word IBS being misused and I do think it is because of that every bloating now is IBS but not necessarily so as I said you know when we have to when we eat dietary fiber and our gut bacteria ferments this fiber it will result in gas production which can lead to bloating that happens in everyone's guts but not everyone has a negative uh, reaction to that fermentation so the the guts that are more sensitive so we call this hypersensitivity will then feel that in a more intense way and because the gut and the brain are connected the gut is sending that message to the brain that there is something wrong, you know, so that's why you keep feeling that discomfort. So IBS is a functional gut disorder. 
Some people will say it's also a disorder of the gut-brain axis. It really depends which type of professional you speak with. Uh, but it is different. You know, bloating is just bloating alone. And IBS is a collection of symptoms. It's bloating, is fatigue, is constipation or diarrhea, is multiple food sensitivities. So it's, it's not as simple as, you know, I just ate too much and I'm bloated. Yeah, definitely. And then SIBO. So I think IBS... We've, we know it, we've heard a lot about it, people talk about it, it's a common term, but yeah. SIBO isn't as common and isn't spoken about as much. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, can you talk a bit more about what that is? Because someone listening might be like, actually, that might be me. So, yeah, could you could you talk a bit about yeah. that? So, it, it's really great that SIBO is making the headlines now, because there there's a really great team in the USA studying SIBO, and they estimate that about 60% of IBS cases, people that are diagnosed with IBS, actually have SIBO. So it's a lot. And it, and that's why, you know, okay, let's review the IBS diagnosis. Did you rule out SIBO? You know, and then, okay, it's just IBS, but did you go down that route? And since it's relatively new, not a lot of people are digging into that. So SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth which means that there is an accumulation of bacteria in the small intestine. So the small intestine is not supposed to host so much bacteria. That's the job of the large intestine. Uh, And when there is this accumulation in the wrong place, uh, this bacteria is fermenting the dietary fiber even before it reaches the large intestine. So, you know, you eat and straight away the bacteria is on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it leads to all these sorts of symptoms like bloating, bloating, um, alternating bowel movements, diarrhea, constipation, you know, it can range from, from that. Uh, so essentially SIBO is a, is a party in the wrong vocation, you know, yeah. that bacteria shouldn't be there in that, in that quantity. Uh, and it, it is, it's more common than we think, actually. I have ran a lot of SIBO breath tests and most of them come back positive. So interesting. And what about like, the doctors out there that we go to when we're when we need help because you mentioned that you had this for like 10 13 years yeah. and you are still waiting for answers so why aren't we getting these answers like what's why don't they know enough about it and another part to this question is i feel like they then prescribe you with the wrong things that then feed off of it makes it worse mm-hmm. the bacteria feeds off of whatever they're prescribing you i've had a friend of mine prescribed medication and it made it even worse mm-hmm. so what's going on with that that's a very good question. I don't know, maybe it's a lack of time. You know, obviously we know that the medical system everywhere in the world is, you know, struggling. You need to be doing that research as well, right? Like there is a lot of of research being published every day on PubMed, for example. But if you don't have the time to catch up or to attend conferences and webinars and workshops, whatever it is, you're also not going to find out about the latest things that are being researched. Um, so I think that may be the case or also there's a lack of interest or also it's you know easy to say it's IBS mm. you know, although there's so much more to it um, there was actually a really interesting study recently that looked into the misdiagnosis of IBS and then you saw you know how people had um, fructose malabsorption lactose intolerance they had SIBO they had bile acid malabsorption all those things that could be treated but then they got the IBS diagnosis, which has no treatment. Yeah. So, 
really interesting but like 20 like my mum always says oh I don't understand your generation that you've all got these intolerances you've all got these problems so I mean I kind of agree that like we do all have more intolerances now Mm. but then part of me is like is it because we're looking more now but what do you think like do you think I think our diets have changed over time but do you think this has caused more problems do you think we're just looking into it more what do you I do think it's because our diet has changed so much and we don't eat as many whole foods as the previous generations and that consequently affect the health of our gut microbiome which is this collection of microorganisms that live in our gut and we know that for a healthy gut the abundance and diversity of bacteria that is essential and that's something that we're missing because our diet has changed so much Mm. also we're eating low fiber we're eating more processed foods we're eating less diversity and there is a theory that you know that is the initial trigger of the problem yeah. is the hygiene hypothesis that it also you know the amount of antibiotics and everything that we've been taking and how our food is sprayed with herbicides and pesticides then it's also affecting our gut bacteria because if it's killing the bugs in the crops obviously it's killing the the bugs in your gut too so i think it's a combination of things um and maybe we know a bit more about it now but i do think as well why these problems didn't exist before and now it it seems like everyone has digestive symptoms. Yeah. And also to think about, you know, stress and anxiety. Nowadays, you know, everyone sorts of live under chronic stress. So that's another problem. Mm. So I think it's, there's many layers Definitely. to it. Definitely. We'll get onto the mental link in a minute. But before we do, I want to touch on some of the kind of bloat foods or mm-hmm. the foods that for you are like the no-goes or, yeah, ones that people might not even think about because I know... Before we move on to like the low FODMAP, you mentioned kind of like garlic and onion. Yeah. And like that's kind of, for for most people, that that's a staple. It in, is, yes. In a lot of foods. Yeah, in, everywhere in the world probably. Yeah. yeah, so could you talk a bit about like the the typical bloat foods and, yeah, and a bit about garlic and onion yeah. as well. So I think garlic and onion are probably the biggest culprits I see in clinic all the time. You know, people say like garlic and onion, I don't know, because they are highly fermentable they're one of the FODMAPs and even really small quantities they're you know high in FODMAPs so it is possibly the the two main triggers but beans as well because beans are known you know like even if you don't have digestive symptoms you know that beans are hard to digest and then the really um, the cruciferous vegetables like broccoli cauliflower uh, cabbage you know we also know that those can promote a lot of uh, gas production but for me it's not like you know off limits you cannot eat this you cannot eat that I think it's really important that's why it's really important to work with a FODMAP trained nutritionist because then you will learn which FODMAPs are your trigger your quantities because it's not about I cannot eat this at all maybe you cannot you maybe you cannot eat a cup but Mm -hmm. you can eat a quarter cup and feel fine so it's yeah. better to eat a quarter cup than no cup at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And could you elaborate a bit on like what is a low FODMAP diet? Because again, people might have heard of the term but don't know what it is. Uh, so the low FODMAP diet is essentially, rem- it doesn't not necessarily remove but reduces the amount of fermentable carbohydrates. So FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides and polyols. Um 
And these are all fermentable carbohydrates. As I said earlier, you know, our gut bacteria break this uh, dietary fiber down and digest them for us. Uh, and they promote symptoms. So the low FODMAP diet, essentially you are reducing the load of these uh, FODMAPs to keep your symptoms under control in the elimination phase. So that's the first step. First step elimination, you reduce the amount of FODMAPs. You, you're okay, you know, my symptoms are now much better. And then you go to a, a reintroduction phase where you challenge each FODMAP to learn your threshold and, you know, how much you can handle of each of them or you may find out that out of six FODMAPs, you react to one rather than six as you previously thought, you know, because that's also what happens. You know, I cannot eat any FODMAP because I feel unwell, but that's not true. Not, not everyone is going to react to all of them. So that's why it's so important to work with someone because then you will find which one is your trigger and the quantity so you can incorporate more variety in your diet. Mm, makes so much sense. So I guess a low FODMAP diet can only kind of be done in a small amount of time and then you can't have a low FODMAP diet for life. No. So you do it to then work out what what your personal diet is. Exactly. So this is the key about this diet. And there's a lot of negativity around the low FODMAP diet. People say, you know, it's it's not good for you because you then restrict a lot of things. But that's true if you do without professional guidance and you shouldn't be doing without professional guidance. And it is about eliminating for a short period of time, like maybe two months, reintroducing and then learning your personalized diet. You know, it's not about I cannot eat this for the rest of my life because actually you are decreasing this uh, very important fibers and then you're also decreasing the diversity of your gut bacteria. So you may be actually making things worse by cutting out all these foods and never putting them back in your diet. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's so true. It it really is true. And what about plant-based in all of this? Because I know that obviously if you're on a plant-based diet you'll be eating more variety of plants often people say like the 30 plant challenge where you eat 30 plants and I've done that and I actually found it so beneficial Mm -hmm. it was so great but with that comes diversity and more more plants and often people can then struggle with their gut health as a result of being Mm plant-based so where does that kind of come in yeah so I think it's really important to start low and slow you know if you if you come from a relatively low fiber diet and then suddenly you, you decide to go plant-based and then you're going nuts on all the hummus the lentils and the beans obviously it's not gonna work out so it's really about gradually building this tolerance so your gut bacteria also gets used to it so i always say like if you're reacting to something and if you don't have ibs and SIBO and all the other things but if you know you're just struggling to add more Uh, plants and fiber into your diet start slowly and really if it means one teaspoon at a time it doesn't matter go from there you know it's as I said it's better to have a little of it than not to have at all Mm, so that's you know just go have one tablespoon for example feel fine for the next three four days then up you know one and a half and then find your limit you know it doesn't mean that you need to be eating two cups of beans or hummus but you can maybe eat a bit less and feel fine yeah definitely and I think it's also really important like not to compare yourself to other people like your friends family or people you might follow because I think for example if you struggle with IBS or SIBO and you see someone be like I can never eat cauliflower or I can't eat hummus anymore I think you then think oh I now can't eat hummus anymore and I can't eat cauliflower but I think that's not the case like as you mentioned with the low FODMAP 
everyone is different and yeah. everyone's triggers are different of course no I, I completely agree and also you know our bodies are different so what is good for you is not necessarily for me and vice versa so um, personalized nutrition is hopefully the future <laughs> yeah definitely and are you personally plant-based uh, no I'm not I eat uh, fish eggs and eventually I eat dairy as well mm-hmm. okay interesting and have you found that be more beneficial on your on your gut uh I think for me, like once I addressed the underlying cause of my problem, which was SIBOS, uh, you know, the overgrowth of bacteria, I've managed to reintroduce a lot of foods back. So I, I was that person as well that, you know, I was just cutting everything out from my diet because for seven years I was struggling. My symptoms were getting worse. I didn't know what was causing them. So the solution was like, okay, cut, 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 cut. Obviously that created a lot of problem because as I said earlier, by removing so many foods, once you start to reintroduce them, you may feel awful. So it was a really gradual process that took many, many years to like find, you know, this, the ability to be able to eat a variety of foods again. Uh, but I, I like to eat a bit of everything. I don't eat meat personally because I don't like the taste. I haven't eaten probably since I'm like five years old. Mm. Uh, but I like to have the flexibility, you know, of of having other things rather than just plants definitely i think it's really important to reintroduce things back into your diet i think if you keep cutting 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 you're going to be left with not a lot and then your nutrition generally probably isn't going to be that good exactly yeah so i think reintroduction is actually probably really really important and something that not a lot of people do i think cutting is quite easy to an extent but then reintroducing can be a challenge yeah and i see also from a clinical experience so many people do the elimination phase they actually they come to me they have already seen dietitians nutritionists and they're like yeah i went on the, the low fodmap diet and i'm like okay did you do you know because there is a, a, a real system behind it so did you do all three phases did you get to the personalization stage no i only did the elimination and i'm like but you know that's that is the easiest part actually cutting out because then challenging the foods takes about you know eight weeks and everyone thinks like oh my god you know I don't have time to do this for eight weeks so I always tell my clients look eight weeks are gonna pass regardless if you do this or not Mm -hmm. so might as well get it done because then you know that's done you've moved on you know your triggers your quantities rather than carrying this for like months and years and never get to the final stage yeah a hundred percent and now I want to kind of touch on the mental mental side and the Mm -hmm. mental link because often stress and anxiety do link to IBS, SIBO, mm-hmm. gut health problems and often when you're feeling that you're getting bloated and you've got IBS and you're struggling it makes you more stressed yeah so could you kind of touch on like the the link between the two yeah so we know that our gut and our brain are connected they communicate with each other all day long uh, if we think about it we were not designed to eat under stressful situations if you look back at our ancestors you know there's that classic example uh you would run away from a tiger that's a dangerous situation back in the time and if you were running away from the tiger you wouldn't be like okay tiger hold on i'm gonna eat a meal at the same time that's not gonna happen Mm. so digestion and stress are two things that do not happen at the same time and as i said earlier you know probably most of us are living under chronic stress and then we are eating possibly way too many times in a day you know breakfast snack lunch snack then snack again then dinner snack how are these two things you know working together they're not and then you start to have all sorts of symptoms so it's really important to understand that if there is stress there's no digestion we need to be on a relaxed uh, mindset in order to eat 
And that's why also a lot of people feel that stress triggers their symptoms because it is, you know, if you are, if your body's under stress, you're on alert, your digestive capacity is decreased, and then you're not going to break down that food. So you're probably, you're not even going to chew so well because you're not paying attention. So you're going to chew like, you know, maybe 10 times and that's it. Your stomach will have a harder time because it, it doesn't have teeth then, you know, that will already create a discomfort. Then the food gets to the next stage of digestion, less less broken down than it should. And it's really like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's super important to understand that, you know, there is that, that link. And if that is the trigger for you, you then need to work on uh, stress management tools and, you know, see what works for you that you can implement on a regular basis because it has to be done every day. And then hopefully you achieve symptom relief. Yeah, it's so interesting. And would you say routine is quite important in this in terms of if you are struggling with stress and you need to kind of relax and calm? Do you think routine is quite important? I do think, yeah. I think routine is important in general. I think the body, you know, we have our own biological clock and I think the body does like rhythm. Uh, And especially if you know that stress gets the better of you, you cannot use a a stress management tool only when things things are blowing up, right? It It has to be every day because you need to build that slowly so the body is more resilient to to that stressful situation as well so you cannot just wait you know wow today i'm really stressed i'm going to do something about it yeah definitely and then often people who are really stressed then they don't eat yeah and i don't think that's the solution either that's not a good Mm -hmm. solution so if you struggle to eat when you're stressed do you have any kind of tips for that that's a hard one because I, I I don't think it's a good idea to eat if you're stressed. Like, you know, they say don't eat if you're stressed, if you're angry, if you're sad, because these are emotions that are taking the better of you at that moment. So rather than eating when you're stressed, obviously don't go like hours and hours without eating if that stress is really permanent. But try to do a few things before you eat that can just bring your body back to that state of uh um, mindfulness if you if you want to say so I, I always say to my clients sit down look at the plate look at the food because digestion starts in the brain you know mm. you need to connect you need to send that message to your body that okay now I'm safe it's all good I'm gonna sit down and enjoy this meal so look at the food smell the food then take five deep breaths you know that will bring you bring your nervous system to the parasympathetic state which is the rest and digest uh, mode five deep breaths it's good enough it takes no time and it's very very helpful Uh, and then just you know eat slowly mindfully don't look at the phone tv email just really be present in that moment chew your food really well about 15 to 20 times until food is like applesauce consistency Uh, and really listen to your body don't eat until you are overly full you know and if you are mindfully eating you will understand you know the satiety levels will will come in Mm. Uh, so just doing these small things can be really really helpful yeah i know it's so interesting and now i want to kind of touch on like what you what you what you've done as a result of this like your your food delivery service so this is really incredible to then obviously you. you found this really difficult you you could tell that the low map was the way to go and you obviously didn't find a solution then you you created a solution so do you want to touch on the meal delivery service and how it works and if anyone's listening and they want to get involved and try it like how how would they do it sure so i from my experience and 
working with my clients, I realized that most people that have digestive symptoms, they eat the same five to 10 safe foods because they don't know what triggers their symptoms because they haven't done the systematic way of the low FODMAP diet. So they're just like, okay, I'm here within, you know, these, these foods are fine. I'm, I'm okay with them. And they just stick to that. But as I said earlier, variety of food is key for variety and abundance of gut bacteria. So I really wanted to help on a larger scale because there's only so many people I can see in clinics. So I wanted to help in a larger scale people, you know, to eat a more varied diet while keeping their symptoms at bay. So I then partnered with a catering company to create a range of low FODMAP meals, which is not meant for you to eat low FODMAP forever. That's not the idea. But it's, you know, let's say you are on a flare-up and you really don't know what's triggering, what's causing it. You, you have that tool to help you. And also if you don't have time to cook, you know, like things like that. If you're going away and you want to leave food in the freezer, there are many reasons many things you can do with it. So I really wanted to help people increase their diversity of plants while keeping their symptoms under control. And then that's why I decided to uh, launch this meal delivery service because then, you know, obviously I can offer it to my clients, but I can offer to everyone. All they need to do is go to my website, uh, place an order, I think it's by Thursday midday. Uh, We then deliver in London on Sundays and Wednesdays, mm. if I'm not mistaken, need to double check. Uh, and we also deliver around the UK. So Amazing. it goes to, to the whole mainland. That is so great. And then your protein bars. So this yeah. is the newest thing. Yeah. So could you describe a bit about why you created the bar? What was so important for you that had to be included in the bar? Mm-hmm. And the third part is why the bar is different to any yeah. other bars on the market. So I always wanted to have a range of products. Um, but obviously that's you know a really big challenge and some it's something really big to create that from scratch um and obviously there are tons of healthy snacks in the market you know especially in the last 10 years we saw how much that grew it's all plant-based gluten-free uh you know made with minimal natural ingredients or at least they say yeah Um, Hey guys, just a quick one on Greedy Vegan. If you are similar to Marilia and don't really believe what the products say on the packaging, and especially with plant-based, if you're getting a bit confused on what's good, what's not, what's processed and what's not, please check out Greedy Vegan as we only focus and sell products which are made of clean ingredients. But the IBS community was still being really left out, especially in the last few years, you know, with this whole low sugar, keto trend, everything is being sweetened with like shikori root fiber, inulin uh, or xylitol. And these are all major gut triggers. Even for people like that don't have IBS, they can create bloating and promote bloating and all. Uh, So I wanted to create a snack that was suitable for everyone. Because, you know, there were snacks suitable for plant-based diets, for gluten-free diets, for keto diets, but okay, what about the IBS diet? That, yeah. that is not, it's not available. So then I took on the challenge of, of creating this snack from scratch. Uh, it took a good two years to find a manufacturer that was willing to create a protein bar with five ingredients because, you know, that, that was my non-negotiable. I didn't want additives, preservatives, emulsifiers, all these things we know that they disrupt uh, the health of our gut microbiome. I didn't want to add oils. I didn't want to have artificial sweeteners or even natural sweeteners because they are high in FODMAP. So it was a 
yeah it was a really challenging process but yeah. we got there you got there and it's peanut flavor yes it's peanut flavor so for now we only have one flavor hopefully we'll uh, expand and have many more i have lots of ideas uh, of what we can do but we just launched two months ago so it's peanut flavor so the base is uh, peanut butter uh, we have rice syrup pea protein cinnamon and sea salt that's it amazing it's so great and it's so nice to open that door for the people who need it and you just don't think about there are so many people who struggle with this and yet so many products have such triggering ingredients exactly a lot of them and and i saw as well you know as i said from personal and clinical experience how many people actually don't eat anything when they're on the go because they don't know what they can and they cannot eat and like i don't know this this is possibly going to trigger my symptoms so then they starve for hours and hours and hours and then they get home and they want to eat like everything that they have in their pantry in their fridge and then they actually feel worse because they didn't eat for so many hours they were starving so it was really uh, you know how can i make i'm all about trying to help people you know Mm. because I saw myself in that situation 10 years ago where there was no help. So I'm all about helping people. Okay, like what can I eat safely on the go that I know I'm not going to need, you know, to find the nearest toilet or, you know, or I'm not going to feel crap. And that's why we wanted to get the certification of um, being low FODMAP. So we have the FODMAP friendly certification because, you know, if you have IBS, you know what FODMAP means, you know what FODMAP friendly certified means and you know you can eat with confidence amazing it's so good and so on that kind of topic of snacking do you recommend snacking throughout the day to help does that help with people with IBS I don't help I don't recommend snacking in terms of like grazing so if you're just eating like every one or two hours I don't recommend that because that would just add burden to the digestive system there's a whole uh scientific explanation behind it but I'm not gonna get there um but I do talk a lot about that on my Instagram and our website as well for anyone that wants to learn uh but obviously like if you have balanced meals and after three four hours you feel hungry but you you don't have access to another like meal you know and you are on the go or something like that then you're not going to starve you know and you can then of course you should then have a snack but it's not about snacking like eating all day long it's having that specific moment you know and spacing out your meals because that's super important for the digestive system yeah no super interesting and how is it all going balancing all this yeah. because um <laughs> you've got a lot going on yeah. so how is it how are you finding it how has it all been it's been uh very tiring but at the same time uh very rewarding so i i feel the happiest i'm really um i I had so many dreams that came true so you know although the work is hard i'm I'm very happy about it yeah amazing and like that's that's the best thing at the end of the day like tiring in the short term but like amazing long-term rewards so that's that's so great well Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgia. We that have, was great. We do have another tradition on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued what your answer is going to be for this. So it is, what is your last meal? So if you could have anything mm. as wow. a final meal, what would it be? Um, it will be a Brazil. I'm originally from Brazil. And we have this dessert called Brigadeiro. Okay. And it's my favorite thing in the world. So it, it will be that one. So what what is what is it? It's uh, there's nothing healthy about it, yeah, <laughs> but fine. that's my last, last meal, meal, right? Yeah. Uh, it's condensed milk, uh, cacao powder, and butter. Oh wow! And then we just we cook it, you know, for a couple of minutes until it becomes a bit uh, more solid. 
we allow it to cool then we roll into balls oh wow uh, and put around like a chocolate confetti oh my god amazing yeah. it's delicious that's yeah. heaven and <laughs> what about like a main course main course you know i i'm really into a mediterranean diet like i yeah. grew up eating a mediterranean diet so i do enjoy a good, good fish with grilled vegetables like tel- italian style yeah that is always like my go-to thing i'm not a person of like pasta burgers pizza just simply because i didn't grow up with that habit yeah so i i do like a simple mediterranean meal yeah you can't go wrong with that you can't go wrong thank you so much it's been amazing i think loads of people are going to find this so helpful and i hope so yeah you've done an incredible job by teaching everyone and guiding everyone and solving your own problem but by helping others in the process it's really great thank you thank you that's very kind of you but thanks so much and have a lovely rest of your day thank you Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you want to follow Marilia after hearing all her words of wisdom, I will add her handle in the show notes. Thanks so much and see you again next week.